Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, and we're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. We've entitled the series, Christ Greater Than All, and this morning we're going to take a look at Christ being greater than Aaron, the great high priest. So we're talking now about a high priest, and let's, let's turn in Hebrews 5, and as you turn to Hebrews 5, what you're going to find, dear friends, is that the book of Hebrews is making a turn now. It is turning from the theme of Jesus as the Son of God, the royal Son of God, to Jesus as the great high priest of God. That turn began last week when our good friend Ken Jones preached from Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. But now that turn is taking a, a full now, full speed ahead, beginning with this passage. What is, who is this great high priest? And it's going to take us all the way through, really the rest of the book of Hebrews. So let's read Hebrews chapter 5. Open your Bibles. Take a look at this passage. If you don't have a Bible, look upon the Bible of someone to your right or left. Everyone should be reading. This is the word of God. Friends, pay attention to God's word as I read it. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So there you have the high priesthood of Aaron. Now look at verse 5 of chapter 5, the high priesthood of Christ. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said of him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Father, I pray to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, whose prayers you heard because of his reverence. I pray to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, who is my great high priest, who has made a way for me to come to you, and I ask you, Father, anoint my lips to speak your word in a way that would build your church, that you might be glorified and honored, and my friends might be served. Lord, those in this congregation that are suffering, that are pulling away from you, Oh, God, would you draw them back to you through confidence in Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Father, we know we have no confidence in and of ourselves to come near to you. Our confidence is solely in Christ. Reveal him to us this morning, I pray. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hanging over this passage is the command in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and specifically verse 16, to draw near to God. To draw near to God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Here's the problem. Our instinct as humans is to draw away from God. 
to draw away from God. Since the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, mankind has been drawing away from God. And the Bible is God's story of God first drawing us to himself unilaterally, all by himself. He predestines us. He elects us. He draws us to himself. And us, having been drawn, walking and coming toward the Savior. Listen, some of you here this morning, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You do not. You're not drawn to God. You've never been drawn to God. You are. You have spent a lifetime of running from God in rebellion. But the fact that you're here encourages me. Because God's drawing you. For the bulk of us, God has drawn us to himself. But we're like that little kid in the store with his mom. You know what I'm talking about. Mommy, I don't want to go. I don't want to go down that aisle. I want that candy. Have you ever seen that? You feel bad for her, don't you? The kid's just pulling, man. Drawn away, drawn away, drawn away. That's us, isn't it? God's our father, and we draw away. And some of us, it's not so funny. I mean, it's funny, the little kid in the, in the store, but it's not so funny, the teen that's cursing his parents and drawing away. Saying, I don't want your authority in my life, God. This text is for you and for me. Because God's command is, draw near to me. Our instinct is to draw away. Right? When we sin, what's your instinct when you sin? To run to daddy? No, we're like Miguel. Daddy's going to hit me if I run to daddy. We've got a wrong view of our Heavenly Father. And we have no confidence in Jesus, our great high priest. This sermon this morning is is here to, to reach into your heart and to draw you back to the Savior. Maybe for the first time ever, God's electing grace will be here. And God's illuminating power by His Spirit will give you the understanding. And if you're fleeing from God because you've sinned, oh friend, hear truth. Hear truth. He wants you to draw near to him. And the way that is done is through this motif of a high priest. It is a high priest who then relates us to God and God to us. See, that's why the text now, that's why the book of Hebrews is taking this turn toward the priesthood of Christ. Why? Because the theme of Hebrews is draw near. Don't pull away, Hebrews. Don't pull away, Hebrew Christians written in the 60 AD, but draw near. Christians in 21st century America, draw near. Draw near through Jesus Christ, this great high priest. So what we have to do this morning, friends, is first we have to get educated about a high priest. The Hebrew Christians that heard this this sermon, this is a sermonic letter, who heard this sermon for the first time, they understood exactly what, what the writer was talking about when he mentions Aaron. Remember, the temple was still in existence. They saw the high priest. They were Jewish people converted to Christianity. They were Hebrew Christians, hence the book of Hebrews. We are not. We are not. So I've got to, I've got to give you an illustration of a high priest so that then you can understand when the author compares Jesus to this high priest, you kind of understand what he's comparing it to. And when I tell you that Jesus fulfills everything that Aaron symbolizes, at least you understand what Aaron symbolized. So in order to do that, I've asked our friends here in the audiovisual department to help me with a couple of slides. And what these slides are intended to do is to give us an understanding of this great high priest. Remember, what are we doing here? We're trying to understand the idea of being drawn to God. How did God, from the beginning of time, draw man to himself? Well, 
he began and he, he moved it forward significantly by giving the Jews the law and this high priest. So I want to show you this high priest right now. Let's go ahead and put him up. In, Ezek- in Exodus 28, this high priest is described. And let's take a look at him as Gentiles so we can re- have an idea of what is being spoken of here when it sp- speaks of Jesus. First of all, you will notice that this high priest has a robe, a linen tunic. It's the foundation of his vestments. And then placed on that robe, on that tunic, is a robe of blue. And on that robe of blue, you have pomegranates that are sewn in the hem. You also have small golden bells that would ring musically every time the priest walked. And then on top of that robe is an ephod. An ephod. Okay? You see it there? An ephod. And this ephod is made of beautiful golden threads and finely twisted linen. Now remember, this is the one who represents the people of God to God. God has been saying from the beginning, draw near to me. People have been saying from the beginning, no, you're holy, you're going to kill me. And God said, I'm going to make a way. So you've got to understand these vestments are God making the way because Jesus is going to fulfill this. So we've got to understand it. Now, here's the key. On that ephod, fastened by golden chains, is a breastplate. The Bible actually calls it the breastplate of judgment. You see this breastplate here on the ephod. And this breastplate has something called the Urim and the Thummim. It also has 12 stones, 12 stones, ruby, topaz, beryl, sapphire, emerald, beautiful stones that would glisten in the sunlight, that would glisten in any light as this priest comes in. But they're stones of judgment. Why? Because each stone represents Israel. Okay? Each stone represents Israel. And going back to the ephod, please, on, on the shoulders of each of, of each of the, of the ephod, on his shoulders are these two onyx stones, beautiful onyx. And written on the onyx stones are the six names of the tribe of Israel on one side and the six names of the tribe of Israel on the other side. So what do we have a picture of here? We have a picture of a priest who is bearing the weight of the people of God and the judgment of the people of God as he's walking into the presence of God. And to complete the picture, you see that the the priest has a turban on his head and there's a gold plate on that turban that's inscribed in pure gold and it's inscribed, Holy to the Lord. It's almost prophetic. These people that I'm bearing, this judgment I'm bearing, it's a people of God and they're to be holy to the Lord because God is holy. Now, what's the problem with this? We're not holy. And so that priest has to go in with sacrifice, the sacrifice of blood. And this, this is the moment of truth. What the Jews would call the day of atonement. When he goes before God, and listen to how scripture describe it. Don't turn there, but you have in your mind the text Exodus 28. But listen to what Exodus 28 says. So Aaron, this priest, Aaron, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment. So go back to that breastplate of judgment slide, please. So he's going in to God with this breastplate of judgment. And reading from Exodus 28, 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastplate of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus shall Aaron bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Al, what does this have to do with me today? Here's what it has to do with you today. Just as Aaron 
bore the names of Israel on his shoulders and the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So now Jesus bears our names on his shoulder and our judgment on his heart and in his nail-scarred hands to bring us regularly before God. But do you really believe that? You see, Jesus fulfilled all that Aaron symbolized in bringing us to God. Jesus is God's final plan to say, draw near to me, though you are sinful and I am holy, though you deserve my wrath and I am righteous in my wrath. I want you to come near. And it's through Jesus, the great high priest. Here's the question. Are you regularly and confidently drawing near to God through Jesus Christ, your great high priest? Is this your daily practice? Or is your daily practice pulling away from God? And you know, when you pull away from God, you pull away from his people. You see, we will only draw near to God if we have confidence in the one that he has chosen to draw near to him through, the one who will represent us rightly, the one who will win us the favor we know we don't deserve as we come running up the stairs and mommy's standing with the switch ready to hit us because we went past the place we were supposed to go. Is there someone, in a more serious note now, eternally, that can represent us to God so that we can draw near to him with confidence? And that's the point today. You see, you're going to only obey God's command to draw near if you have confidence in Jesus, who is the one that will cause you to draw near. So this is the question. We've got to, we've got to see this question drive our text. May it drive your heart, by the way, to the Lord. Here's the question. What qualifies Jesus to be our great high priest? What qualifies Jesus to be our great high priest? Understanding that he's come so that we might draw near, God might draw us near. What qualifies him at that? If I'm going to approach a holy God who could destroy me, and I'm banking it all on Jesus, my great high priest, is he qualified? Because if I don't believe he's qualified, I'm not going to draw near. I'm running. Here's the thing, guys. Run all you will. You can't escape God. That's what Miguel spoke of during worship. These two truths. Draw near to me. and Oh, by the way, you can't escape me. My eyes will search you. I know the thoughts and intentions of your heart. We preached that a couple of weeks ago in in, uh, Hebrews 4. So run, run, run if you will. I will see you one day. I see you today. And you will answer to me. So, who, how can I come to you? What qualifies, you telling me Jesus? What qualifies him to be my high priest? That's the question. First qualification of Jesus to be your high priest and mine is this. God selected him. God selected him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed. Appointed by whom? By God. To act on behalf of men in relation to God. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Listen, this is not something you volunteered for. You don't volunteer to represent people to God and God to people. You are appointed one who represents people to God and God to people. And that's what happened to Aaron. Now look at verse 5. And that is the case with Jesus. Jesus did not exalt himself. Verse 5 of chapter 5 of Hebrews. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him... So Jesus is qualified because God selected him. 
God appointed him. Jesus did not appoint himself. There's a whole other sermon to be preached there about the humility of Christ. It could be preached out of Philippians 2. (laughs) But God appointed Jesus. That qualifies him. And look how he appointed him. Let's look at verses 5 and 6 now. As we focus in on this first qualification to be a high priest that God selected him, look what it says. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. Now we're going to read a quote from Psalm 2-7. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And then verse 6, as he says also in another place, this is now Psalm 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Friends, what do we see here? We see the two great themes of Hebrews, don't we? We see them come together. The first theme is Jesus is a royal son. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This was most probably, most probably fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when Peter preaching in Acts 2.36 says, what you see today, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon these men and the power of God This is possible because Jesus has ascended into the heaven. The Jesus you killed. The Jesus God raised from the dead. Has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And the Father and the Son are pouring out this Holy Spirit. This is a royal sonship. This is the throne of God. This is Jesus the Son. Not just any Son, but the King. Don't you see what he's saying? Jesus is qualified to be your high priest. Because he's greater than Aaron. Aaron was a mere man. Jesus is the king. He's the sovereign king. Just very quickly, if you go back to Hebrews 1-2, what does it say? But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. This is royal language, guys. This is the king. This is the Lord. If you go over to Hebrews 1-5, it says... You are my son. Today I have begotten you. If you flip over to Hebrews 3, 6, no, no, no surprise here. The theme of the first three and a half or so chapters of Hebrews is on the royal sonship of Christ. Look at Hebrews 3, verse 6. It says the following, but Christ is faithful over, over God's house as a son, as a son. So we've got the royal sonship of Christ. That qualifies him to be your high priest. Next, next, you have that God appointed him a high priest. This is that quote in Psalm 110, verse 4, that we see in Hebrews 5, 6. You are a priest forever, forever, forever. You want to know why you should come to Jesus Christ, your great high priest? Because he's forever. Aaron is not forever. Is Aaron here today, Hebrew Christians, in 60 AD? No. His sons are. He's gone. Jesus is here. He was there. And he's here right now. He's a priest forever. He's greater than Aaron. He is the one that you should draw near to God through. He is the one to whom you should look to trust him. Because his high priesthood is greater than Aaron's. What's the application today? What's the application today? Well, for sure the application in the first century was that there were Hebrew Christians who because of the trials they were experiencing due to their faith and confidence in Christ as their high priest, they had left the Jewish religion, Aaron being their high priest, and they were receiving a lot of trials and persecution. And so they're saying, I'm going to go back. They were that little kid pulling on their parents' hand, wanting to go back 
to Aaron and the Jewish law to have a relationship and draw near to God. And so the application for them is don't do that. Jesus is greater than Aaron. He's a royal son. Jesus is greater than Aaron. He's a high priest forever. Don't go back to Aaron. What's the application for you and me today? Could it be for those of us who have lost confidence in Jesus to represent us to God? Could it be that in the difficulties of this life, we have simply lost confidence in Christ and we just want to go back, go back to anything, anyone, but Christ. We're suffering for him. And God would say this, don't go back. He says it so many times. Throughout Hebrews thus far, we have heard things like, We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. That was Hebrews 3, chapter 6. We hear it this way. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving, losing your confidence in Christ, heart leading you to fall away, fall away, pull back to the living God. Verse 14. For we share in Christ if... We hold our original confidence firm to the end. God wrote this because he knows our hearts. We have a temptation when it gets tough to pull back, to pull on daddy's hand and want to run away from daddy, to pull back from Jesus as the only one who can represent us to God. In fact, the very scripture that leads up to this passage, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast. Our confession. So what's the application for you and me? Maybe you're pulling back. Maybe you've lost confidence. How do you tell? Very little passion for God. Very little prayer to God. Virtually no participation in the church. So when you pull back from God, you're going to pull back from God's people. You love the world. The world's your thing, man. God's been replaced by the world. For the Hebrew Christians, Aaron was the one that was trying to replace Jesus. For you, it's just the world. It's just you. You're your own high priest. We all just want to be God in our own minds, right? Oh, listen to this text. Don't do it. Jesus is the only one qualified to give you the peace with God that you must have. Don't pull back. Draw near. Second qualification for Jesus. How does Jesus qualify to be our high priest? Because Jesus sympathized with our weaknesses. Jesus sympathized with our weakness. Look at verse 2 there of, of Hebrews 5. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he, now speaking of Aaron, himself is beset with weakness. All right. So what does that mean? Well, if you're going to represent somebody, you must know them. In, in order to represent me, you must relate to me. You know, the, the NFL currently is on strike. They're negotiating a new contract with the owners. Well, the people representing the players are players, right? They're the ones at the bargaining table. They may have an attorney that's helping them out, but it's the players' representatives. You must know what it is to be a player. So, so here, the high priest can only represent people he understands, and Aaron fully understood the people. He was weak like they were. He was human. He was a sinner. And Jesus qualifies. Jesus qualifies to represent us. Jesus qualifies us as a great high priest because he too sympathizes with us in our weakness of becoming a human. 
That's what it said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, verse 15, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Jesus knows what it is to be a human. He knows what it is to be tempted to pull back. He knows what it is to be tempted to say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. One big difference between Jesus and Aaron. One thing that makes Jesus a greater high priest than Aaron. Aaron sinned. Jesus did not. His weakness was solely due to his humanity. Aaron's weakness was due to his humanity and his, his sin. So, so Jesus is qualified. He's not a distant high priest. He's someone who comes to you and he's someone who says, I know what it is to be like you. I became a man. I became a human. He sympathizes with us. And, and, and because... Catch this, because Aaron sympathizes with us in our weakness, he's able to be gentle with us in our weakness and waywardness. Look at that text again, 5-2. He, Aaron, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus is able to deal with our weakness. Yes, because he's a human, but he's also able to be gentle with our waywardness, not because he sinned, but because of his character. Oh, this is good. This is, lay hold of this. God wants you to apply this, I think, to consider applying this in the following way. When you sin, What is the greatest temptation to do with respect to God? Draw away. Draw away. What this text is saying is that Jesus can sympathize with you. He knows what it's like to be tempted to sin, though he never sinned. So therefore, trust him, have confidence in him, that at the very moment that you sin, at that moment, because you have confidence in Jesus as your great high priest, instead of drawing away, you will draw near, not based on confidence in yourself, you have none, but based on confidence in Christ. Do do you see this? So my question is, when you sin, which do you do? Or even better, where are you right now? Is God distant? If so, guess who moved? You did. And I'd wager you moved because of sin. Something like this. How can I approach God? I'm such a hypocrite. This thing I've been trying to stop doing or this thing that I know I should do, I've not stopped doing it or I haven't done it. I have no confidence to enter God. So you start drifting. You start drifting from God. And you know, you know when you start drifting from God, you know what you start doing? You start drifting from his people. So there's really no joy in gathering with God's people. There's no joy in coming to church. There's no joy in serving church. You don't anticipate hearing the word of God. You dread hearing the word of God. You're like Miguel. You're running up the stairs. You see mom and dad there, and you see the word of God like Miguel's mom with the big switch in her hand. I know his mom, and that's not... Something you want to see. <laughs> She's a wonderful lady, but she would definitely beat you. <laughs> and so you, you just see, you just see God, all right? You just see God as someone that's going to beat you. So why come to church to get beaten? 
And you totally misunderstand Jesus, your great high priest. You totally forget that he understands you. You forget that he knows what it's like to be a human. You forget that he was tempted every way you were, yet without sin. But he's kind. He's going to deal gently with you. But he only deals gently with the ones who humble themselves and repent. He breaks the necks of those who hard themselves and don't. Psalm 2 tells us that. The very psalm that I just read from. That's not a threat. That's a fact. But there's a way. Come. So that's the first application. When you sin, you pull away from God. You pull away from his church. Oh, friend, he sympathized with you. Draw near. Let him draw you near. Second application. For some of you, ah, for some of me, the righteous ones. When we pull away, you know how we pull away? We enter into harsh judgment and criticality. This may not apply to you. It definitely applies to me. Right? How do I know that I'm pulling away from God? How do I know that I've lost my trust in Jesus Christ as my high priest and I'm trusting an Alpino as his own high priest? Because when someone is wayward and weak, instead of being like Aaron, the high priest, who deals gently with them because I'm aware of my waywardness and my, my weakness, I'm a self-righteous guy and I deal harshly with them. Oh, I've learned how to dress it up. You could almost not even tell. But it's in my heart. Is it in your heart? Are you tempted When someone sins against you, are you tempted when someone doesn't do what they should in the church? Are you tempted when someone is just being weak? By golly, would you stop being weak? Because that's really irritating me because it's affecting me, your weakness. Freeze the frame. May I suggest to you that you have forgotten, maybe never really understood that Jesus, your great high priest, bears with your weakness and became weak, that he might deal gently with you. That's the, that's the application. So look at your own heart. Are you pulling back from God in prayer and the church and you're just saying, whatever? Or are you pulling back from God? You're just a, a harsh, judgmental person. And, and no one really appreciates it. Which, one, which is it? Here's the application. Because Jesus, because, because Jesus it qualifies as my high priest by sympathizing with me. I can have confidence. I can have my confession of faith. Listen to me. Both those people I described, they lost their confession of faith. Both of those people lose what they're commanded to not lose. In Hebrews 4.14, hold fast the confession of faith. In Hebrews 3.6, hold fast your confidence in Christ. You've lost your confidence if either of those apply to you. One is the religious guy and one is the worldly guy. Both ditches are wrong. Opposite sides of the road. God wants you on the road. Jesus is my high priest. I'm going to labor to be confident in him. I'm going to look at him. I'm going to remember he sympathized with me. Oh my, imagine God gives up the prerogatives of, of his divinity. He is still God. He is still divine. He gives up the privileges of his divinity. Study Hebrew, Philippians 2. He becomes a man. Listen, I held my babe, my granddaughter in my arms last yesterday afternoon. I held Mary in my arms. I looked at her and I said, Jesus, how can it be that you were a baby like this? And he was. 
because he wanted to come to qualify to be your savior. And the only way he could qualify to be your savior is to become a man, a human like you, yet without your sin. Oh, let that move you the next time someone really blows it or even sins against you. Or it's just weak. Think of how weak Jesus became. Oh, friends. These are glorious truths. Third qualification. Third qualification. Before I go to the third one, I just feel like I need to make this point again. I feel this is the point God's making in your heart. Listen, here's the deal. You're either going to pull away from God and his church when you sin, or you're going to pull away from God by being harsh and judgmental and critical when you sin. Oh, please, let one of those... We're going to have a time of prayer at the end of this service. If you've been one of those people that have been distant from God because you feel God doesn't want to talk to you or he's going to beat you if you get close to him, that's a lie. And I invite you, when we have prayer, that you would come running, not because we're anything, but just saying, Lord, I'm running, I'm coming back. I'm the little kid that actually comes back when mom says, come back. You know that kid? He's rare. But the little kid, when mom says, hey, son, comes back. God is saying, son, daughter, come back. I don't have a switch to beat you with. I have my word to change you with and my acceptance to hug you with. And yes, my instruction to correct you with, but it's all good. It's all good. Okay. Third qualification of Jesus to be our great high priest. He suffered for our sins. What qualifies Jesus to be our high priest? Look at verse seven, please. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, i.e., when he was a man, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Now listen, this word offered up, you know what, you know what the Hebrew Christians immediately understood when they heard that, offered up? It's the exact same term that is used for the high priest on the day of atonement offering up sacrifices for the sins of the people. What's the application? The high priest, verses 1 to 4, offered up the blood of animals as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus offered us, uh, offers up himself. Much greater sacrifice because a much greater person. He offered up sufferings for you and for me, just as the high priest did on the day of atonement. He offered them up. Listen, go, to, go with me to Luke. And this one I do want you to turn to. Go with me to Luke chapter 22. Please, verse 41, just briefly. How did he do that, Al? Luke 22, 41. Luke 22, 41. What's, what's, you'll see the title here of this text, beginning in verse 39, actually, is Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. But look at verse 41. Jesus here in verse 41 of Luke 22. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father... If you're willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus knows what it's like to not want to do God's will because it's too hard. Jesus knows what it's like to be persecuted. Jesus knows what it's like to say, I don't want to do this. And in no way does that diminish Christ's divinity or his sinlessness. It means that he knows, he sympathizes with me. But listen to what he says. Listen to how he responds to his own self. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Oh, friends. Oh, friends. 
Going back to Hebrews chapter 5, it tells us in verse 7 that with those loud cries, with those tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Oh, friends, listen to me. You can say to yourself, but God didn't hear Jesus' prayers because God didn't save Jesus from death. Yes, he did. He didn't save Jesus from crucifixion. But he saved Jesus from death, the death that matters, the eternal death, because he raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. And he ascended into heaven. And what this scripture teaches us is that God heard Jesus' prayers because of his reverence, his awe of God, because of his obedience. And that same Jesus is interceding for you and for me right now. And my confidence is not in my ability, but in his. Not in my obedience, but in his. He's making intercession for you right now. So don't run from God when you sin. Run to God, not based on the confidence in your obedience, because you have none. You just disobeyed, but in confidence in Christ's obedience. Do you see that point? That's true. That's the gospel. Let the gospel truth motivate you to gospel action. Get up. Seek God. Pray. Worship. Come to church. Come to home group, not to earn anything with God, but in grateful response that the one interceding for you at the right hand of God obeyed all the time, every time. Look at verse 8. Curious verse. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What does that mean? What does it mean for Christ to learn obedience? Does that mean that at some point he sinned in disobedience? No. Scripture clearly says that's not the case. Here's what it means, friends, and I'm grateful to P.T. O'Brien and his commentary on Hebrews for this. What this means is this. Jesus came to appreciate fully what conforming to God's will involved as a human. He didn't know that until he became a human. Now, he knew it, but he knew it in a much different way as a human. As each new opportunity to obey God arose, day after day after day after day, culminating in the garden, obviously. But every day, from the moment he was born to the moment he died, Jesus suffered. Because he obeyed perfectly. Jesus was tested again and again and again in this matter of obeying the Father. And he obeyed him again and again and again. Aren't you glad, my friends, that he obeyed, that he suffered from the moment he was born to the moment that he died? And what a travesty for you not to come to God because somehow you think your obedience is what earns you favor with God. You are not valuing the obedience of Christ. And my appeal to you is value it and run to God with so much confidence because Jesus obeyed every day. Is that confidence enough for you? Oh, may it be. We're going to get to your obedience in a moment because it's there. But right now, look at Jesus' obedience. Oh, friends, application, do you pray with confidence? Do you draw near to God with confidence? I mean, don't just draw near to him, but as Ken said last week, I think his translation said boldly. ESV says with confidence. Is Christ's obedience your confidence? Ah, is Christ's obedience your confidence? Scripture says it should be. It should be. Now, what in the world does verse 9 mean? And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What? I thought Jesus was perfect. I thought, I thought, 
Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says there's no sin in him. Oh, it does. It does. You see, this perfection here is not speaking of something that is, it's not a moral perfection. It is a, a vocational perfection. What does that mean? Okay, here's what it means. He was made completely or fully equipped vocationally for his office as your savior, as your great high priest, as the source of your eternal salvation by the suffering he endured through his obedience. He was then perfected, made a better word. There is maybe not better. I'm not saying I can translate better than the ESV guys, but another word is complete. He was made complete. Jesus Christ is now the complete Savior as a result of his obedience that he learned through what he suffered. He's now made perfect or complete as our Savior. So don't save yourself. You cannot do it. Christ alone is your hope. Christ alone is your hope. Friends, at the end of of verse 9, there is another one of those clauses that's in Hebrews all over the place. And it's important. He is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Oh, friends, first of all, take a look at this salvation. It's eternal. It's forever. It's the salvation, deliverance from sin and death on Christ's return. But Christ benefits only those who obey him. Don't you see? This is the theme that has been echoing down throughout the first three and a half, four chapters of Hebrews. If you believe, don't harden your hearts in disobedience. If you trust, don't harden your hearts and fall away from the living God. Obey. Hold on. This is the hold fast. Obey. This, this is there. He's, he's your savior if you obey, if you persevere to the end. Yes, there's a tension here. I fully acknowledge it. But it's God's tension. It's God's tension. Now we talk about our obedience. It is not an obedience that gains us anything with God. Only Christ's obedience does that. But it's an obedience that evidences that we have confidence in God. I love, I love this quote from P.T. O'Brien. The salvation that was obtained by the obedience of the Redeemer is made available to the obedience of the redeemed. The salvation that was obtained by the obedience of the Redeemer is made available to the obedience of the redeemed. Oh, friends, don't pull back. Don't pull back. That's not who you are. That is not who you are. We're going to hear more about that in a few weeks. But keep pushing forward based on his obedience. Now you obey. Don't be ashamed of your suffering, friends. See, that's what the Hebrews were. They were ashamed of their suffering, so they were pulling back. Don't be ashamed of it. It's hard work. It's hard work. Joey and I were standing outside the door listening to my daughter moaning and giving birth to this little baby girl. It was, she gave birth in her home, if you're wondering how I can say that. Uh, she gave birth in her home with a midwife. Actually, she ended up giving birth to Mary Jane on the floor of the bathroom. I didn't know that. My wife told me that afterwards. My wife was there with them. But I, I'm listening to it, and I just turned to Joey. and we're Both of us, my son Joseph, I, I, just, I said, Joey... We were, we were, it was emotional. We were tearing up. I mean, he's listening to his sister. I'm listening to my daughter just suffer. And I said, oh, son, what a, what a poignant moment. What a, what a, what a, what a paradox here. Uh, like, like this text. We have, Joey, we're listening to the effects of the fall and the curse. God said to the woman, you're going to have lots of labor pains. 
And yet we're hearing the promise and the dominion mandate. Fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. And, and actually, Joey brought that one up to me. And I said, what, what a paradox. What, 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 a, what, what a tension we have here. Great suffering. But life. And later on, when they cleaned Mindy up and they had the baby there and I came in, she who gave, who was in labor for, I don't know, seven, eight hours, I forget how long, was smiling and forgot the pains of her labor because she held her daughter in her arms. And I tell you, friends, don't pull back from Jesus because right now you are laboring maybe as much as a woman in labor pains. And it's hard and it's difficult and sin's difficult and people are difficult. But press through, press through, because the day we're with the Savior in all eternity, that labor is going to feel like a moment compared to eternity with God. And the glory of God and the honor of God. That's what waits us. And that's, that, that's the message to the Hebrew Christians then. Don't pull back to Aaron. He's inferior. I say to you, don't pull back to stuff that's inferior. Hang on. Obey. By grace. Trusting in Jesus Christ, your great high priest. Final point. Let's bring it all together. Here is the message for this morning. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is qualified to be our great high priest. Why? Because God selected him. Because he sympathized with our weakness. And he suffered for our sin to become the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Oh, trust in him, church. Trust in him, unbeliever. Obey Christ by confidently drawing near to God and to others. In this holy moment, let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh God, I pray that this message would reach the hearts of the hardest person in this room who has run from you all their lives and is here because they have to be or or somehow, I don't know why they're here, but they have no desire to run to you. This is meaningless. Their ears are deaf. Their hearts are hard. Their eyes are unseeing. God, come, you who elect and predestine and call and give life to the dead. Have mercy, O God. You are a merciful God. And right now, use this word to open their eyes that even when I'm done praying, they would run Run to you and say, I'm coming now because you've drawn me. Father, draw them to the sun. We know that unless you do, they cannot come. But we ask, draw them this morning, Father. And Father, for those of us, probably the bulk of us, who are just pulling back, our hearts are cold. Our hearts are judgmental. We don't fellowship with the brethren as joyfully as we used to. We've pulled back from serving, from loving you and others. Oh, God, draw us back. Let us see our our great high priest. Let us see that you, oh, God, make a way for us to come and that you deal gently with us. Let us do it now while we can and not wait till the day of judgment when we must. Oh, God, have mercy upon us. I pray. Oh, God. Oh, friends, I love you. Some of you, I just say, come to the Lord. Stop running away. Stop pulling away like that kid in the market. Run to him. In a moment, we're going to do something. We're going to give you an opportunity to just agree in prayer with us. It's just an opportunity of ministry. 
We're going to have a couple of the leaders here, home group leaders and the pastors. Please consider coming forward. If, if your sin has kept you from God, the lie that you can't approach him, approach him because you're a sinner, oh, come run. Come, come back. Come home. Or if you've been harsh and judgmental, come home. To help us with these thoughts, we're going to sing a wonderful hymn while the prayer is going on. It was written by Chariti Lees Smith, a hymn writer who lived during the late 1800s, early 1900s. She originally entitled this song, The Advocate, reflecting the theme of Christ, our great high priest, whoever lives and pleads for us as our advocate before God. Today, we know it as before the throne of God. Consider Jesus as the only one qualified to represent you, to be your advocate before God and draw near to him in time of prayer. Let's stand together. Would the leadership please come forward? If you would like prayer, please, as soon as we start singing, come on down. And we're just here to pray. This is going to turn us into a time of drawing near to God using the means of this wonderful song and its truth. Friends, respond to God. Draw near to God. That's his command to you this morning. Let's sing now before the throne of God.